This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Three... Two, one. Oh, they sent me a picture of my food at the door. I can't, I can't see it. All right. What were you saying? Hey, this is On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone, and Josh Newberg got Uber Eats delivered to his house, and that's where we're going to start off this podcast. I find that Uber is a uh, – I know I'm leaning on it a lot these days here in, in uh, quarantine, pan- pandemic times, but holy crap, like a $15 meal becomes $25 very, very quickly with that. That yeah, with the speed. quickness. But, you know, we were on the Mike Norvell press conference just now, and now we're, we're podcasting. I didn't exactly have time to run out and eat, so I had to bite the bullet and do it. Josh is, Josh is hangry, for the record. So this is going to be a very interesting podcast. We're going to have a very dialed-in, focused, uh, edgy Josh or a distant, aloof one. No in-between. We'll see. Hi, Christopher. I know you felt left out last time. I'm bringing you into this. How's it going, buddy? Fantastic. Oh, great. I'm so happy I asked you that. <laughs> so the last time we were all together, we were doing the instant recap to FSU 16-13 loss to Georgia Tech. We have now had time to digest it. We spoke to Coach Norvell today. It's Tuesday. Uh, watched film. I probably watched the game two more times extra, so three times total. I'm a masochist. And Chris, you told the fans a week ago if they lost that game to crack open some bottles and start – Start drinking. How are you feeling on that right now? I said if they lost it like the VTech game. I don't think it was quite that much of a catastrophe. Oh, okay. So this isn't just like full-blown alcoholism. It's just more like... No, nah, but like, like, I drink yourself to sleep that night, okay. but, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps the next day. Very, very good. Very good. I like Chris needs the one giving uh, drinking advice to the audience. Just listen to him and, and you'll be fine. He's very, very experienced <laughs> in it. <laughs> I'm retired. <laughs> I don't think Chris's wife would ever let him give anybody else drinking advice. We still have to do the women of on the bench podcast at some point in the lean season. The if, next if, pandemic. If there's like a quarantine again, yeah, things get shut down for a little bit. Anywho, let's uh, let's get into today's topic. We're going to kind of put a bow on FSU Georgia Tech. I guess it's not really a bow because bows are supposed to be pretty. It's like a, a used uh, shoestring. How about we just flush the toilet on it? And we're going to do something on it. And, uh, and then we'll also give you a little bit of recruiting tidbits. And uh, first, though, DJ Matthews, FSU's much maligned and, and uh, controversial wide receiver, enters the transfer portal. Mike Norvell said that was not a surprise today when he was asked about that, and it did not sound like Mike Norvell planned to get DJ Matthews back in the fold. We were told that DJ opted out a couple weeks ago. He confirmed that on Twitter on Saturday before the game. Josh, I'm going to throw this to you first on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most surprised that DJ entered the transfer portal. Uh, one? Yeah, like a point five. Um, Zero, maybe? I can remember going back and texting with Coach Dossey asking if DJ Matthews was still a part of the program. I'm not joking. I know you guys um, listening 
think that like we're being flipped with this DJ Matthews stuff, but there was what two, three times per off season that we had to verify if he was still on the roster. Like we were being told, Hey, DJ hasn't been at practice for two days. Hey, DJ's back in Jacksonville. Hey, DJ's, you know, a wall, like this was, this went on so many times in the background, not just with this coaching staff with even with Taggart's coaching staff as well. We were told by legitimate sources last year that he tried to lead a failed player revolt against the Willie Taggart staff. Oh, it was two years ago, right? Was that 2018 or 19? No, I, I can't remember. It was last year. It was against Virginia. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> knee is over the DJ Matthews era. It's very he has a whole lot to say in the group chat, but <laughs> yep. <laughs> On the pod. He's got Jacksonville. He's got Jacksonville peeps. He didn't want he, he didn't well, I mean, I don't blame it's abundantly clear that the two parties have no interest in being at the same party. Yes. Yes. So here we are. That's a good I mean, way. It's, it's that simple. Move on. on. Good, good uh, luck to DJ, wherever the next stop is. I hope he gets his degree. I believe he's in line too at the end of this semester. Good for him. Move on. Life mm-hmm. keeps chugging along. Yep. I think ultimately that's for the context of this season going into it, we thought DJ Matthews was going to be a factor. Then we had the, the COVID uh, tweet that was then taken down and uh, and things were never really seemed to get right after that and then kind of figured that this was an inevitability I didn't think it would be at this point I thought he would just be kind of quietly not on the team and then at the end of the year after he graduated into the transfer portal but it's it's what this was to be expected sooner or later now let's move on to some of the takeaways from the game and more so some of the insights from Mike Norvell after his press conference after we got a chance to talk to him after he got to see film. I want to focus on quarterback play, lead this discussion on quarterbacks in general with James Blackman. My thought is, well, I'll say this. After further review, I I think James' performance was almost as bad as the numbers indicated. I I think he was – I was a little too light on him on the Instant Reaction podcast because he did have some key drops, and I think that changes the the complex of the game – but but James did not do himself many favors in the second half. Chris, as you got to rewatch the game and then got to hear Mike Norvell speak today on James, where he seemed to say like there actually wasn't as bad as, as maybe most would think. Uh, what are your thoughts and how do you absorb James Blackman as QB1 moving forward? I thought he was pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, after rewatching, I still thought the same. It didn't change my opinion. Once he got hit, once he got rattled, once the O-line started breaking down, he wasn't good. Now, I do agree with something Kenny Dillingham said today. FSU did a heck of a job getting themselves in real bad situations of second and third and longs, and those aren't conducive to success, especially with him at quarterback. You know, I, there's been plenty of chatter by people, should we move on to a different quarterback? I'm not convinced there's a different quarterback to ready to move on to. I'm not against the idea. I just don't think it's going to bring greener pastures all of a sudden. I think James Blackman is FSU's QB1 because he won in the preseason, and he's the best option based on what they're asking guys to do in practice. But he he was not good in that game. He he did a poor job of handling it when the bullets got hot and heavy and started really flying at his head late there, and he just he never recovered. And that's been an ongoing, consistent theme with him, and yeah, just kind of tired of watching it. Josh, what would be your advice to people? And God knows that there are a ton of threads on the Knowles 24-7 message board asking about, do we move on from James Blackman? How long does a leash does James Blackman have? Uh, how's Chubba Purdy feeling? What would you what would your advice be to people who are expecting or hoping for James Blackman to not be the starting quarterback against Miami? And you sat in on the Norvell press conference today. I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on how Norvell uh, viewed the quarterback position. 
Yeah, I would I would say to those people, keep hope alive. Um, but I don't think that James Blackman is going to be benched. Um, kind of because of the reasons Chris said. Also, also I don't know why. Um, because to me, I think you you know you're in Mike Norvell's second game. We're in a pandemic. We know FSU's financial situation. Mike Norvell has to feel pretty good about his job security for at least three seasons. So I wouldn't mind seeing Tate Rodemaker right now because I don't think the the difference in wins is going to be that much. I mean, the way this team looks with James Blackman at the helm, three, four wins is is maybe optimistic right now. Uh, If you replace him with Tate Rodemaker, is that really going to make that big of a difference? Potentially. Real, real quick, Josh, I want to go back to that point, but you mentioned three, four wins being maybe the outlook now. We all were on Optimist. record. I mean, you could outlook. also make an argue for two more wins on the schedule. We all said seven and four before the season started uh, on our season preview podcast. Do we think this game legitimately, I think uh, I'm not questioning it. Do we think that there was a legitimate like three game swing just from losing this one in terms of recalibrating what this team can be in 2020? For me, there wasn't. Um, I'm not ready to make that leap. I obviously very disappointed in what we saw there. I was very underwhelmed by the defensive front, which I expected to be more of a strength, especially on the interior. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into that a little bit more, so I don't want to get ahead of myself with that. Offensively, I didn't expect them to be very good. Um, I did expect them to be capable of a few more explosive plays. And what they did against Georgia Tech is they kind of – they did themselves in with the opportunity for explosive plays. There's a couple runs where there were opportunities there. Whether the vision took them the wrong way or a block was missed, there was still something there. And in the passing game, obviously, you know, when Warren Thompson's dropping five balls to Maureen Terry's dropping one slash two on a big hit, that takes away some opportunity for big plays that would allow them to score more points. FSU left plenty of points on the field. Now the issue is that so did Georgia Tech. So it's not like it suddenly becomes a lopsided FSU victory if FSU's offense executed better because, you know, obviously things go a different direction with a game, way a game plays out. So I'm not ready to hit the panic button and say, oh, my God, they're going to lose a bunch more games than I expected to them. I fully expect them to lose several games. I expect them to lose at least four, maybe five going into the year. Maybe that should increase a little bit, but I'm not ready to make this leap that all of a sudden this is a two and nine, three and eight football team. I don't think there's a whole lot of teams on the schedule that are very good. Now, Georgia Tech sure as hell wasn't good, but FSU can get better. There are departments where FSU can certainly do better than they did Saturday. And there's other places where they simply have deficiencies and it's going to be a battle every Saturday out. So yeah, I'm I'm not ready to make the leap before we watch the Miami game. If you know they get destroyed by Miami and they look as disappointing in certain factors, I think they can be better in as they were in the first game. Then yeah, I might be ready to make that jump, but I'm not there yet. Maybe James Blackman is the long term solution. I mean, he's only a junior this year. He'll be a junior next year and a senior the year after that. So maybe this is just the first of like you know 35 more starts in a row for James Blackman. And by those, the end of that 35 starts, he'll, he'll be a serviceable quarterback for Mike Norvell. I know you have your tongue firmly planted in your cheek with that comment. Uh, it's not Blackman. I mean, the future of this program is going to be improved by better quarterback play. But we all get hinged, uh, hooked on the whole idea of quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. The O-line has massive issues. First five were much better. Marie Smith was a bright spot at center. Darius Washington played okay. Devontae Love-Taylor played okay. The guard play could have been better, in my opinion. But Which when is they funny, had injury, right? That's yeah, funny. yeah, that we thought the interior would be the yes. more of the strength in the exterior. Mm-hmm. 
But the minute they had to go to different lineups and they had to use five in this game because of multiple injuries, they were awful. I mean, Chaz Neal got annihilated on his one parade. Brady Scott at right tackle, that false start was a killer on fourth and three. Uh, Bavion Johnson at guard, he wore down and wasn't very quick to his spots as the game wore on. He was good early on in some degree with playing the guard spot. He was bad at center when they made that move. I don't really know if that was a planned move or Maurice needed a breather. Not sure. Um, but the O-line's going to have shortcomings. That's not suddenly going to go away. Tight end is a deficiency. I don't think that's going to change a great deal. Cam McDonald played well. Preston Daniel got a lot of snaps and handled himself pretty good. But that's not a position you're going to get a ton from. But receiver is a spot where they can be better. Warren Thompson, I pray because, you know, it will be infuriating if it continues. One would hope he doesn't drop, you know, five out of six targets every game. Tamorian Terry hopefully plays like we know he is capable of, which he certainly did not this past Saturday. And in general, that group can be better. So that's one area I believe there can be improvement. Running backs. I don't think those are scoreboard lighters necessarily with Corbin and Webb, but I do think the production from that unit can be better. I certainly think that's a strength in the passing game. And they kind of, they went to that quite a bit, especially early on. And then they seemingly kind of went away from it. I think some of that was situational football where they got themselves in worse situations. So I think there are places in the offense that they can be better, but you know, it was an awful first performance. I don't expect the offense to ever be very good this year. Uh, so don't expect it to be as damn dreadful as it was on Saturday. Backtracking back to Tate Rotomakers, Josh's point on Tate Rotomaker and how that would impact win total. Josh, I do want to clarify. I know that Jordan Travis didn't practice a lot in the preseason. Chubba Purdy got hurt with a shoulder injury. James cleanly beat out Tate Rotomakers. So there seems to be, and pretty early on in camp, James seemed to separate himself very early on. Now, obviously, Tate's a freshman, has room to grow, and, and could maybe uh, bridge that gap if his learning curve isn't that, that that high. But I'm not convinced that you throw in Tate Rotomaker and your results are any better or even different. I, I would imagine that they will probably be worse off than they were with, with James Blackman. And then you were on the risk of, of throwing him into a position that Chris mentioned where that offense is uh, diluted in certain areas at tight end at offensive line. So you could really break Tate Rotomaker before you make them, which is, which is a concern in my opinion. Okay. I, I don't share those same concerns, but. And I don't think a lot of the people listening do either. But well, you're just so I, I understand calm, cool, and relaxed. So uh, you, cool. you don't know till you throw them in the fire. I, like mm-hmm. I'm not against the idea. I, truthfully, I'd be kind of happy if they roll out there against Miami and they rotate quarterbacks. I'm no lover of multiple quarterback systems, but it would be nice to try to find somebody that's going to work consistently. I don't I, get that vibe from listening Mike Norvell and others speak about it. I fully expect right now James Blackman is who they're going with. And I think you're looking at the James Blackman in these moments where he flashes early in the game, but once the tailspin starts, there's no pulling out. And right. and, and we and once I saw it under Mike Norvell after that first INT where James only continued to melt down on the field and off the field emotionally, I was just like, you know, it's this is it. Like I wanted to see, I wanted to see how James responded after that first interception. And it was a complete disaster after that. Yeah, he seemingly thrived when it was on script, and when anything went wrong, he just never recovered, which is Mm -hmm. an overriding theme with him. And at this point, I'm not expecting it to go away because we've seen it year over year, and I just – I'm done hoping in that regard. I don't think – for the record, I don't think that we'll 
see someone else start against Miami, I think it'll still be James Blackman. But I do think after they got to see a little bit of what Jordan Travis can do and find some success on the ground in this scheme, and now that he's been back for an extra couple of weeks at this point, I think we'll see them go to him much more often and, and maybe even earlier in the game. Like if the script with James doesn't really start after you go off script with James, if he starts to, to tailspin, like Josh said, you may have the relief pitcher ready to go a little bit early on. I just don't think that Tate Rotomaker is your, your long-term answer this season. I think it's more of a, a supplement James Blackman with Jordan Travis. And maybe even you get like someone like Travis Jay or some wildcat stuff with some of the running backs involved to kind of get you five, 10 snaps a game as well to get through the game and then hope that Chubba Purdy is the upside guy you think he'd be once he comes back from the injury. Chris, do you want to update people real quick? I'm going to stall a little bit if you can get Norvell's quote on Chubba Purdy, but but he did seem to be pretty optimistic on the quarterback. He, he should be back shoulder. sometime here soon. Yeah, yeah, kind of, and he he more so was asked with a guy being out without being able to take physical reps, how prepared can they be? Here's the quote: "That's going to be something that we continue to work and develop with him. I think all every guy who's playing quarterback in this offense has potential to be able to execute and play at a high level. The best guy will play. Going through fall camp, where we are, I'm excited about the development I've seen from all of them, referencing the quarterback room." Obviously, with Chubba missing some time, he's going to have to get those real-life reps in practice and continue to get caught up with the speed of the game. I'm excited about his potential. Also, the potential of the three other guys in the room. All right. I think that's going to be the storyline to watch moving forward. Chubba Purdy is four weeks removed from the, the collarbone injury. I know he had to get opened back up again a second time, but I don't know if that end added a significant amount of time to his projected return timetable which was about six weeks so we're looking at after the Miami game as a realistic timeline for him to to get back practicing again and that obviously would would change the dynamic of the quarterback room but I do think you have to remember that is multiple weeks that he's missed of, of training and getting ready to learn the offense so it, it, it extends the learning curve and the possibility I think of getting him really integrated into the game as a possible QB1 option. Whew. All right. One more quarterback question I have, and this is more on the other side of the coin. Jeff Sims came in and looked pretty decent. Josh, I know you addressed this on the message board. People want to know what happens with the Jeff Sims recruitment with Florida State and Mike Norvell. And uh, for the optics, man, that that does not look great for FSU that a true freshman came in and, and looked fine at a position of major need for FSU. No, and if you're a freshman quarterback coming out of high school that went through the recruiting process, decommit, signs with another program right at the end, I mean, this is like a a storybook beginning. I won't say an ending because it's only the beginning for Jeff Sims. Um, But, you know, you couldn't have written this script any better. I know FSU is not on the side that we always want, but um, for Jeff Sims, you got to kind of be happy if if you knew him throughout the process, very respectful. What happened with Jeff Sims and Florida State was when Mike Norvell arrived, he knew that they needed to take two quarterbacks. And um, he went in and told Jeff Sims that they planned to take two quarterbacks. Well, the previous staff was so gun-shy about taking a second quarterback and spooking Sims, he was getting a completely different message from that staff from the moment he committed up until, you know, Taggart was out. He was the only guy. Willie and and the staff weren't even going to look at a second quarterback. So, I'm not in the room for that conversation. I don't know how it went down. I don't know what was said, but Jeff Sims thought about it for, I think, 48 hours. We got word he was going to decommit. He sure is 
did he sure did he posted his uh, decommit story and about two weeks later he made a decision to commit to Georgia Tech and sign with them um in hindsight would FSU you know could could Mike Norvell have gone in and delivered the message where he could have finessed the situation where Jeff Sims understands he's the guy and FSU takes another quarterback maybe that's hindsight but what happened was FSU felt like they needed two quarterbacks which I, I agree they did um, unfortunately, they lost a very talented quarterback in Jeff Sims in the process. Anything to add to that, Christopher, before we move on? No, I mean, uh, people get so caught up on it thinking that Mike Norvell had like some disgust about Jeff Sims or that Jeff Sims and Mike Norvell weren't going to work. It's not that. Mike Norvell liked the guys he took. He came in here with a plan at that position. He went and got two guys he wanted. Jeff Sims wasn't necessarily one of those guys. Jeff Sims had a certain thing in mind because that's what it had been up until that December point. You know, good for, I'm, I'm happy for, I like Jeff a lot. I covered him a lot. He's a great kid. He busted his backside to put himself in a position to play as a freshman. Truthfully, I didn't think he would play as a freshman in covering him as a recruit, but good for him. Like I have no issue with the fact that it's a good storyline for the kid and I also really don't think Mike Norvell and FSU did anything wrong there. It, it can work both ways. I know people don't yeah. want to hear that. But I do, but I do think, you know, part of the recruiting game isn't for the athlete to pick the school. It's for the coach to convince that the best athletes he can to come to their school. And I'm not, I'm not like blaming Mike Norvell for this, but I think, you know, Nick Saban deals with this all the time. He has a crowded depth chart but he has to convince these kids to just come with me. And even though there's competition, come with me. And maybe Mike Norvell could have done a better job of that, of, 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 you know, massaging the situation a little bit better. But I, but like Chris said, it wasn't a heated debate. I don't think, you know, this was a business decision on both ends. Jeff was never Mike's guy. Mike's guy is Chubba and he likes Taylor heck of a lot too. Like that, that's it to me. Like if you take two and you're taking Chuba, and the second guy is Tate or Jeff, the first guy is still Chuba. And you had and to like, take I, Tate I just, I don't, the timeline, right? That was right, part of right. it. The, Tate was the minute, ready to commit. You had to take him if you wanted him. The minute you knew Jeff was not going to likely happen, you had to go on Tate. I believe the same day as a visit to Jeff is the day they offered Tate. So, yeah, you, you got to make sure you're not left with a hole at that position. If Jeff Sims never played on Saturday, nobody would be having this conversation about Jeff Sims. But he played on Saturday, and his team beat FSU. Jeff played well, and FSU didn't do a very good job bothering him, which irks me a bit because he's a true freshman playing behind a relatively mediocre offensive line. But, like, it is what it is. I I, I don't know. I just – I don't lose sleep on such topics of discussion because – to me, Jeff Sims was never Mike Norvell's guy. Mike Norvell never wanted Jeff Sims necessarily in this program. I don't think he was against the idea, mm-hmm. but it's not like he came here and that was on his checklist to check off. I I tend to agree with you, Chris. I think the narrative of this being a huge whiff for FSU and having egg on your face, I get it. It's not good for the for the optics and people are going to see that and, and not like it. I didn't think Jeff, Jeff Sims was special. He was fine. He made some athletic plays. Uh, he also had some really bad, really, really bad interceptions. And uh, like you said, maybe we could transition to the defense here. So probably be appropriate time to do so. I didn't think the game plan for him was all that inspiring. They really kind of forced him to take a lot of check downs and throw a lot of underneath stuff. And that worked early on when he made some of those rookie mistakes, including two interceptions to Asante Samuel, almost a third pick six or almost a third interception that would have been a pick six to Emmett Rice. 
but in general, they did not pressure him. The defensive ends weren't very good. They only got one sack, neither from a defensive end. It was from a safety and a linebacker who combined for that sack. And they, I don't know, Chris, after watching the game, I know I felt like I was disappointed, more disappointed with the defense than the offense after rewatching the game. Would you agree with me? I left it for sure knowing I was more disappointed with the defense's inability to look up to its potential schematically and, and from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, and especially the defensive line. There were other mistakes behind them. You know, Stephen Dix got too far inside on Jordan Mason's run, but truthfully, Dix is the second man up there. The DN didn't do a good job on that play. John Papuchas actually referenced that last evening, talking about it on Inside Seminole Football to Mike Norvell show. Um, you know, Jones, obviously, the corner play in the end zone, he's playing pylon, and it's a stop and pop, and he gets caught on it. So there's other guys that failed to do their job at a high level. But in general, the defensive line left so much out there. And the defensive ends, especially Janarius Romson, played quite poorly, especially Romson. Romson was especially bad. He missed a lot of tackles. He got out of position. He just did not do a good job doing his job. And there, there's examples in that game. There's one where he straight up goes over Jeff Sims, where he should bring him down to the ground, and it turns into a positive play. It was a bad performance by the defensive line. And that's supposed to be a strength of FSU. And everybody wants to bang on Marvin Wilson. And Marvin certainly didn't play to an elite level. He played to an average level. But he made some plays. A guy like Corey Durden did not have an impact on that game. A guy like Robert Cooper did. So I don't want to paint it as every single guy was equally bad. There were guys who were especially bad. And in the case of Romson, because he played so many reps, because he was forced into that duty because of Kando's injury, he played especially bad playing a lot of reps, which is disappointing. And you, you just you can't be passive with a young quarterback behind a bad O-line with a lot of skill that's not particularly scary if you're playing one-on-one challenges. You should be able to play man. You should be able to – I don't understand why FSU was so obsessed with playing a soft zone and keeping everything in front of them instead of once in a while kind of going double barrel and getting after his ass. And the few times they seemingly did that, it produced results. You know, there's the example of Gaynor and Woody coming around the edge together and Jay Robson on that play too. It's one of Jay Rob's better plays in the game. You know, the Asante Samuel interception, there are guys in his face. The other interception, he is rolling because of pressure. So there are examples of pressure being created. It just wasn't consistent enough. And truthfully, to Jeff's credit, he played much better, I thought, in the second half than the first half. And, yeah, that's surprising for a true freshman in his first game in a tight game. You expect, you know, as things kind of get tighter for a guy to struggle more. And instead, the veteran quarterback struggled more than the freshman quarterback. An update for our listeners. Sounds like there was a quote-unquote positive prognosis for Joshua Kando. He left the game with a, a, I think it was a knee injury that he certainly got chop blocked in that general area. He was around on the sideline hobbling some, but still walking around, didn't need crutches or anything like that, didn't have to get carted off, which is a good first sign. Mike Norvell confirmed that they seem to be fairly optimistic about his his recovery, or they didn't give a specific injury or a timeline. Josh, can you imagine what this defense would look like if they lost Kando for the entire season? The defensive end depth we knew was concerning going in. I know exactly what it would look like, Brendan. A bunch of guys that are all the same body build, that all kind of do the same thing well, which is kind of take up space and not really get after the passer. Yeah, there's a concerning lack of twitch at defensive end, and Mm -hmm. that's something that this staff inherited, to be fair. No, they didn't go and remedy it you know, through the transfer portal or anything like that. And they missed on Morgan Joseph, which was a toughie in the recruiting cycle. But, you know, that's that's been been years in the making. A bunch of medium build defensive linemen 
that are all kind of in the same build, not twitched up like you said. It's going to be rough. I mean, this wasn't the best offensive line they're going to face either. No, this is probably one of the worst ones they're going to face, which is scary. I think think the key for the defensive line moving forward is for the inside to create more pressure and allowing the outside to basically – have the play forced into their hands and then making the play. There were examples of that that happened on Saturday and the outside, the ends for the most part did not make the play. They did not secure the tackle. They did not end the play in place. There's a lot of examples of Jeff Sims and the Georgia tech offense having success on plays that should have been negative yardage plays or ended at the line of scrimmage. And then said they turned them into second and third and shorts winnable situations. FSU did a real bad job of getting off the field because they didn't put themselves in good situations to get off the field. And a hell of a lot of that was tackling. Now the pressure wasn't great and the guys flying around wasn't great, but there's examples where they did do what they were trying to do, what they were trying to achieve up front and they failed to secure the tackle, which allowed the play to continue. 12 missed tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. We can probably reference that. This is probably the last podcast we can reference a PFF signature stat. Uh, so, yeah, 12 missed tackles for the defense. Chris, I was confused. You mentioned a little bit, and I know Janarius did not have a, a very good game in general. And part of that's him just flying around missing tackles. I know he had to play more in a more expansive role than they initially planned after the Kando injury. Mike Norvell talked about that today. We haven't gotten a chance to talk to Adam Fuller yet, so I feel like this is kind of unfair. But I did want to say I was really confused with their usage of, of J-Rob. He dropped into coverage about eight to ten times. I noticed that big play down the sideline wasn't necessarily his fault. That play just got extended, and that was a tough ask. But You're talking about the Marquez Ezard 45-yarder? Yeah, I think if we were looking from the press box and the TV side, it would have been on the far Georgia Tech sideline going from right to left. Yeah, that's that play. That was the play. Uh, but that's not totally on J-Rob. To me, it's more like, why is J-Rob in that position to begin with over and over when you saw what, if you had film from last year, which I'm sure the staff looked like, or had to see to see what he looked like, why you would put him in that predicament over and over again, uh, whether it was spying on the quarterback or actually dropping into coverage into the deep flats. Like, that just, that seemed odd to me, and I don't know how to digest it. Yeah, I, I, this is me philosophizing. I've not been told this. I think they were slightly surprised by Georgia Tech and how efficient they were and kind of how in control they were. And they let Georgia Tech sort of take the steering wheel in the second half and beat that game down in the short-time situation and put FSU against the wall. And you don't want to see that. You'd rather your defense – you talk about setting a tone. And the specifically that was talked about with the D-tackles, that they would be the ones that could potentially set a tone – and FSU did not set a very good tone in that game, especially over the last three quarters of it. The last thing I want to talk about before we take our commercial break is the special teams play. That was as good as advertised when re-watching it. The numbers coming after the game are all really good nationally for FSU. Top five or ten in almost every key statistical category. The guy who really sh- stood out to me, who shined, Travis J, looked really dynamic as a returner, both punt returner and kickoff returner. Josh, if I set the over-under here on three touches for draft for Travis J on offense in the next game against Miami, would you uh, would you take the over or the under? Or would you over. like to say the under or the over? Sorry. I would take the 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 over. The so you're over going under. you're going with you're going with Travis as a Travis J as a legitimate integrated part of the offensive game plan next week. Oh yeah, I'm I'm another performance like that from James Blackman. I'm ready to pencil him as quarterback. I mean, he was a uh, he 
was a pretty dynamic quarterback at Madison Tag- County. Isn't there a famous Taggart tweet or a comment on Travis J about potentially playing quarterback for them? Yeah, it was, or maybe it was Kendall Bryles, but it was during that signing day time when mm-hmm. they failed to get a, another high school quarterback and kind of used him as the PR piece to – I mean, he did take his like team so to bad. a championship or won a championship. Won a championship. Yeah, at uh, You know, 1A quarterback. And you go ahead and you watch him. Like, he's, he can push the ball downfield. He's not super great passer. But he's explosive and dynamic with the ball in his hands, and he makes plays. So Yeah, he, the he, won a, he won a couple state titles at Madison County. Travis is electric. Um, he's also just natural with the ball in his hands. He's a guy that – you know, some guys just have an it factor when they have a ball in their hand, and that's certainly why he's on special teams returning. But I think that you could see him potentially move around a bit and do a few things, especially if they need a spark. And I, you know, they went to Travis, or I'm sorry, they went to Jordan Travis in this game because mm-hmm. they needed a spark, and he gave it. So I think that's always kind of in their mind space of considering such a move. Special sure. teams, so special teams is an area where we heard so much emphasis and it was good to see that prove true because obviously some other things didn't like the D-line. Josh, what are we calling the backfield with both Jordan Travis and Travis J in there simultaneously? Oh, I, you know, I can't name these wildcats. You always censor me whenever I come up. with That's a, isn't that like a will fortune, like a before and after or whatever, where it's like, you know, two words and then two words, but the middle words, the same word. So in this case, it's Jordan Travis J. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the Jordan Travis J cat. Mm, I'm trying to think of it here. Something with travesty, right? Like, no, oh God. Tra- hey, we're taking a quick commercial break. We're going to talk recruiting on the way back. All right. Welcome back to On the Bench. We are wrapping up our episode here to give you a little bit of recruiting intel. There were a couple of key recruits for FSU from the 2020 class that were at Joe Campbell Stadium in the rain and a not so great opening environment with on-field product. Who wants to go first to talk about the, uh, the two tight ends who, who talked to, um, talk to whom? Yeah. Prior to the weekend, we confirmed that Florida state tight end commitments, Kobe gross, who's a Juco prospect and Jackson West who plays in Alabama were expected to attend FSU's home opener. Uh, we can confirm that they both made it. I spoke to Kobe Gross after his visit. Chris Nee spoke with Jack Jackson West kind of during his visit, confirming he was there. Um, you know, Kobe Gross is a Juco prospect from, from California that their season got shut down, so he's living in Tampa with his grandfather. So he told me he's going to attend every game. And um, he said just being in the stadium around the fans and future teammates. Um, I know they lost, but I see a lot of potential in this team. It was fun being there. That was from, from gross. He said that the offense looked good. Um, they need to execute. He feels that they will come together soon. Gross was, was, was optimistic to say the least. Um, he's fully on board and plans on trying to make it to every game. He said every home game this season. Yeah. And with Jackson West, I actually talked to him during the second rain delay he loved the Cam McDonald catch. Him and Kobe intended to catch up with one another. I believe they did. Josh can confirm that since he talked to Kobe afterwards. Yeah. Um, Jackson had been here before. He was glad to get back. He enjoyed the game. Obviously, didn't love the weather. But uh, I didn't catch up with him further after the game. But I usually talk to him after he plays each Friday. So I'll ask him this yeah. weekend. And but Jackson it, West went off on Friday night. Six foot four, 231-pound tight end, caught 10 balls, 
for over 150 yards and a touchdown on what was like a 47, 43 yard um, catch and run where he weaved through the defense, broke three tackles and scored. That's pretty much exactly what FSU needs on offense. Need a little bit of that in, in your life. And he also had some really nice highlights in there too of him blocking Josh, which is, you know, which is what you want to see. Yeah. Um, hey, one... you guys, real quick, you guys made fun of my weather updates all last week and then pretty much all the time and then into the weekend and Chris mentioned the rain delay. I was even making fun of them during the rain delay. To, to like strangers, to people we didn't even know. I don't even know. Yeah, I, my issue isn't with your weather reports. It's that they're 12 days out. Like you start panicking 12 days out. My point to you is just tell I'm prepared. me 24 hours, no matter what's going to happen, it's going to happen. So tell me 24 hours out. If I need to bring an umbrella, I'll bring an umbrella. That's all I need to know. Anyways, there was a hot shot quarterback that had FSU on his yep. uh, top whatever list. Why don't you go Last thing I got that. here is Nico Markial, um, Chandler, Arizona, four-star quarterback for the 2022 class. He is He's probably one of two top targets for FSU at the QB position. Nico and MJ Morris would be the two top targets, I would say, right now on FSU's board for 2022. Offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham is leading up this recruitment. Um, I've spoken to Nico several times throughout the offseason. Great relationship with Coach Dillingham. Um, great relationship with Mike Norvell. They, they, were, they were recruiting him at Auburn and Memphis, respectively, before they arrived to FSU. So that relationship has only kind of moved over uh, to the new program. And on Monday night, he dropped to top eight. The teams that were included were Florida State, USC, Arizona, I'm sorry, Arizona State, Michigan, LSU, Ole Miss, TCU, and Florida. I currently have Nico Crystal Ball to Florida State. There's four predictions on his page. All four are to Florida State currently. Um, Still a lot of ways to go in this recruitment. I think he probably makes a decision after his junior season sometime in the offseason, but I like where Florida State stands right now. The one other thing I was going to add before we moved quickly on to quarterback recruiting, you know, people always worry, oh, they lost. The recruits are all going to jump ship. It doesn't happen quickly. You know, if they put together a trend of losing or they just don't improve at all going forward, then, yeah, it's probably going to happen. It's just kind of a natural order of things. But, you know, Jordan Eubanks is a guy that Josh caught up with after the game. And Eubanks essentially said, I think they'll get better. It's one game. You know, mm-hmm. and in talking to a couple other guys, recruits, not anybody that's committed, but just other guys I know legitimately have interest in FSU. That's kind of the consistent theme. I mean, I had one player and I'm not going to put him out there because I'm not reporting. It was just a conversation, but he was disappointed by what he saw because he did expect a little bit more. And he's a guy that's known of FSU before this staff, too. So he knows of what they were last year versus what they look like in game one. And I think he expected to creep up in performance. But he he said to me that he thought they were sharper in the sense of knowing what they were trying to accomplish, that they were a little more unified. You know, he said the penalties weren't as bad, which is one of those things. They still had a lot of penalties, but they didn't have a lot of penalties for not lining up right, not getting guys off the sideline, only having 10 on the field. It was more false starts, things of that sort, which they still need to clean up but not all penalties are created equal. Mike Norvell teams always get penalized pretty heavily. It's not having, like you said, 10 guys on the field, which is the stuff you you can live with, I guess. Yeah, and you obviously don't want a false start on fourth and three. Um, 
I can't get over that one. I can't get over that one. And out of a timeout, right? And one thing, too, is like they were talking about how Brady Scott was supposed to be this calming presence as well for FSU and like how he was going to help like rotate in for guys throughout the game. It's a tough Yeah. Brady at right tackle was rough, but that's because Chaz Neal at right tackle was rougher. So that. And Bavion Johnson jumping, uh, also jumped not quite as bad as Brady Scott did, but like the three guys who didn't jump. Marie Smith, Dante Lucas, Darius Washington. To me, that was a very uh, symbolic, uh, momentous moment that, that those three younger guys do not jump. The two veterans who've been here uh, seem representative of the last few years on the offensive line and maybe the glimmers of hope in the future. Anyway, sorry. Continue, Chris. No, it's pretty good. We're good. All right, we're done. Wrap it up. Stick in the landing. Josh, go get your Uber Eats. I'll talk to you guys next Thank time. You. All right. This has been On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Christy and Newberg for joining me. We'll talk to you guys later.